I'm interrupting my own podcast to talk to you about Anchor. Anchor is brought to you by Spotify and is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. It will also help you distribute your podcast across popular podcast hosting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Best of all, you can make money from your podcast on Anchor with no minimum listenership. So for those of us just starting out, this is very helpful. And do you know how much it costs to have everything you need to make a podcast in one place? 100% free. Yep, you heard me right. You can do all of this and make money for free. So if you have been thinking about starting your own podcast, now is your chance. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now let's get back to the episode. Hi, I'm Yan. Hi, I'm Yvonne. Welcome to Lost and Refound Podcast. We're a podcast discussing our personal journeys as modern Asian women and sharing inspiring stories from within our community. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Now let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Lost and Refound Podcast. I'm your host, Yan, and we have Yvonne. Hi, Yvonne. Hi, Yan. How are you? I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good today. I'm really excited about our guest, Kevin. And me too. I cannot wait. I've been following his Instagram since you've told me about him. So I'm excited to learn some more gardening and green tips. Yep. So I'm actually going to skip the small talk today because I'm just that excited to get the conversation started. My friends know I've been obsessed with growing my own veggies for the past couple of years. But before I started my gardening journey, I actually was a self-professed black thumb. I literally killed every single plant that I brought into my house, including cactuses that people swore to me I cannot kill. And guess what? I killed them all. I think I actually killed some plastic plants too. <laughs> so what changed? Well, a couple of years ago, I discovered a YouTube channel called Epic Gardening. Kevin from Epic Gardening focused his content on small space gardening at the time, which was what I needed because I have a very small patio, as you know, Yvonne. And I binge watched all of his videos and per his tagline, he literally taught me how to grow my own green thumb. So today I'm beyond excited to have Kevin on the podcast with us to chat about his own gardening journey, the importance of soil health and his plans for his epic homestead. Please help me welcome Kevin to the podcast. Hi, Kevin. Hey, what's going on? We're so excited for you to be here today. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How about you? We're doing well. I am uh, trying to keep calm, but I'm literally freaking out on the inside (laughs) (laughs) because I've been watching you for so long. But before we get into the conversation, can you introduce yourself to our audience a little bit about yourself and how you got started in this gardening journey as well? Uh, Sure. So yeah, my name is Kevin Espiritu. My channel or I guess company now is called Epic Gardening. And the goal, it's very simple. It's just to it's a very simple goal, but it's sort of lofty. And so when I first started, I was like, oh, maybe if I could help a thousand people learn how to garden, that would be a good goal. And I was learning how to garden myself because I didn't grow up as a gardener. But uh, as I hit these goals, I just kept increasing the number. So now we we have the lofty goal of trying to help a million or a hundred million people uh, grow their own food at home. So at some point we're going to have to you know, see if we can actually hit that number, but we'll, we'll see. But yeah, I mean, that, that that's it. It's, it's, I just, I just like to grow plants. I like to learn in public, as I say, you know, I don't ever say that I'm an expert gardener. I'm not a master gardener, which is an official sort of title, 
Uh, I just like to grow and I like to share what I, I know and, and sort of synthesize from all the different places that I, I learn. And that's pretty much it. So number one, congratulations on hitting 1 million subscribers on YouTube. <laughs> Thank you. That is a huge feat. <laughs> yeah, that um, was crazy. That was crazy. What inspired you to start this gardening journey? It's like you said, you didn't grow up gardening. So what inspired you? What was that moment that sparked everything? Yeah, I would say... It was probably when I was 22, I want to say. So I had come out of college with a degree in economics accounting. I had actually played online poker throughout college to pay for school. And I watched all my accounting friends go into accounting and they were working 80 plus hours a week uh, for, you know, whatever the starting salary is, like $60,000 or something like that. And it just didn't seem that attractive to me. I did the, <laughs> the hourly wage and I was like, there's a lot more fun things I could do that actually just pay an hour, hourly salary that would be better than being an accountant. You'd actually earn more. So I kept playing poker after college because to me, I was like, well, at least I'm not doing something I truly don't like. I didn't think it was going to be a long-term thing. But about six months after, I kind of had this moment where I was like, you know what? All the people I know that are five, six years older than me that are playing uh, poker still, I just don't really think that's how I want to live because I was looking at how they were living. Mm -hmm. so I was like, okay, well, I, I should quit. So I did quit. And I didn't have anything to supplant that with. And so I started playing a lot of video games, like way too many video games, as much or more than I was playing in poker, which is basically just the same thing, but you weren't earning any money. So <laughs> eventually I, I woke up and I was like, well, this is even worse than what I was doing <laughs> before. And so I, I remember my brother had come home from college and you know he liked his time behind the computer as well. And so, so I suggested some ideas to do outside, like skateboard, surf, all that kind of stuff. And I, I threw gardening in at the end and he was like, oh, you know, I could, I could garden. Let's try that out. And so that's really how it started. And in some way or another, that would, would have been 20, maybe 11 or 12. Uh, I've been growing ever since. What did you grow first? So my brother was the smart one in that situation. So he grew uh, hydroponic or sorry, no, I, I grew hydroponic cucumbers. He grew basil in containers, which is a very responsible choice. And it, it went really well for him. But for me, hydroponics, for someone who doesn't know, it, it's you're growing plants without soil. So you're using water and nutrients alone, along with light, of course. And so there's just a lot more things that can go wrong in that situation. And a lot of things did go wrong in my case. And they just really tasted terrible. However, it did hook me on the, in, the interest of growing food. Why did you choose hydroponics over soil? Yeah, so I was living in a townhouse at the time, and the only outdoor space we had was a north-facing covered patio, which in the world of gardening, north-facing is going to be your worst direction because you have the least access to sun, and then it being covered on top of that, it might as well be indoors. And so there wasn't any real access to natural light, and so I was looking up methods that could grow without natural light, and so I ended up doing hydroponics growing it indoors and buying like a supplemental grow light to, to get the job done. I figured maybe that was my only way of doing it since I just didn't have any actual light. Mm -hmm. I have similar issues. I have a North facing patio. It's very small already, but only I think one third of it gets about five hours of sun a day. And this past wow. summer, yeah, I yeah. jammed 13 tomato plants in there. <laughs> there you go. See, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. Yep. <laughs> what about lamps that are supposed to have 
uh, represent sunlight. Do those work? Can I have them in my own home or should it really be You mean outside? like the uh, the like mood lamps that are supposed to like cure you mm-hmm. of seasonal affective disorder? No, or? not those ones. I don't think that those work, but are there any like UV lamps um, that- um, Yeah, I mean, so there's a whole industry of grow lights that have come out. And obviously I think we all know the crop that they were probably initially intended to grow. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, these days there's different technologies. You know, when you go to like a Home Depot and you see those long fluorescent tubes, a lot of people were growing off of those at the start. That's called a T5 fluorescent. You can grow with those. We call them a shop light. You might find them in like a garage or a workshop or something. Those work. Um, and then as you want to grow things like maybe a cucumber or a tomato, a more complex plant that takes more energy to grow more light, then you would move to perhaps an LED grow light. And there's, I mean, that technology has really been evolving. So there's a lot of things that you can do to grow, even if you don't have any light at all. So you can just grow indoors. You're the first person I think that I've heard give that advice. Um, I know that there's a lot of plant apps out there. Um, I was trying to use one mm-hmm. and trying to use their light indicator. And everywhere I went in my home, it said, no light, there's no light. Yeah, so yeah. You can't grow plants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's tricky because, so first of all, the, the one of the things, a little fun tip about that is, those plant light meter apps will be different depending on the phone that you have, because mm-hmm. it's the camera technology that it's using to determine the light. And so it's a, it's an okay method, I would say, but if you, if someone's out there that's listening, that is using one of those apps, it's not the most reliable thing, but a good rule of thumb is to say, okay, well, do I have a South facing or West facing window? Those are going to be your best two. And then just cram like you did, Yan, everything that you can in that area. And if not, you really do. I mean, Light is the number one nutrient that a plant needs because they're able to generate their own energy off of that light, right? Photosynthesis. And so without that, there's really nothing else. Nothing else matters. So yeah, you have to go with an indoor grow light unless you actually have light outdoors. There's just no way around it. Yeah, actually, I have been pretty successful growing outdoors now. So last year, I decided to bring a bunch of houseplants in. And they all died. And I was like, okay, what happened? Did my thumb turn black again? And turn out it's because I literally get no light here. And when mm-hmm. I actually moved some of the plants to the only window that gets some light was my kitchen windows. When I moved some of the plants there, they flourished, but every single other plant died. So I figured out, you know, light was ultimately my issue. So I really can't have a lot of house plants inside my house. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one thing that people forget with, especially growing indoors is what you see with your eyes, they don't have, plants don't have eyes. And so like what you think is light enough, it's oftentimes like a fifth as much light as they probably would need, especially indoors. Cause I mean, when you're looking at a lot of these classic house plants, like people will say like a snake plant is a plant that can take low light, which is true. It can survive off of low light. But I mean, here in San Diego, that's a landscaping plant. So it's in full sun all the time, you know, or like a fiddle leaf fig, which is a really popular house plant. People will grow and say it's a very finicky hard plant. I mean, you, you walk outside here in San Diego, you'll see a 30 foot tall one in full sun. Uh, and so people forget that that's full sun is way different than like a bright window. Even a bright window South facing is not even close to full sun. It's good to know. Got to get some grow lamps. Grab some LEDs. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thinking back to your early gardening journey, what are the first plants you started growing? Yeah. So after the cucumber experiment, then I think I went to simpler plants, which I would recommend for anyone who's a beginner. You want to grow things that number one, you want to like to eat them. Mm -hmm. That's a good rule of thumb. If it's inedible, if it's not just something that's nice and pretty, but something you like to eat and ideally something that you harvest before it grows through its full life cycle. So like when we think of a lettuce or a basil, 
I mean, we, we eat the leaves of that plant. We don't eat the flowering stalk, which most people don't even see on lettuce, right? Most people, if you showed them the flowering stalk of lettuce with the seed pods up top, they wouldn't know that that was lettuce in the first place. They might think it was some kind of weed. Mm -hmm. um, so things like that are very simple to grow. That's what I ended up going with. Like I made a little, again, hydroponics again, because I was still in that same place, but I did like a um, uh, sort of like a tote, like a storage tote. And I grew, I drilled some holes in that and I grew herbs in that, like culinary herbs, mm -hmm. again, under a light. And that did amazingly well. Basil will do amazingly well in a hydroponic system. One of the most popular crops actually that people cultivate mm -hmm. uh, for hydroponic, like commercial operations is basil because it's really high value. But yeah, stuff like that was, was my go-to for a while. And what's your favorite thing to grow now? Aside from dragon fruit. Um, yeah, so I was going to say it's, it's going to be dragon fruit. I, I had a good time with the loofah this, this past year because I finally had some success with the loofah gourd, uh, which for those who don't know, it's a, it's a plant that you can grow that the interior fiber is used as like a sponge or a bath sponge, something like that. Really, really fun crop to grow. Kind of challenging, depends on where you live. I would say right now I'm most excited about, I just planted six different varieties of potatoes. I'm really excited to, to harvest those. Just saw them sprout. And then I've got garlic that should be going in hopefully next week, uh, 10 different varieties of garlic. And in the world of garlic, you've got your softnecks, which we would grow in Southern California because they're a little bit more heat tolerant. But then you have your hardneck garlic, which the flavor is generally a little more complex, a little more enticing, and the varieties are, are way larger, but it's also harder to grow here. And so I've had my garlic in the fridge for like two or three months now to fake a winter. It's called vernalizing. And so I'm trying to make sure that I give it like the best chance to grow here because that you kind of aren't supposed to grow hardneck garlic down in San Diego. So I'm just trying to see if I can do it. And, and I'm really excited about that. But again, that's a really long season crop like that won't, we won't see anything about that until maybe like October this year. So and yeah, for anyone who is interested in the loofah video, that video was so satisfying to watch when you finally appeal that loofah. Yeah, the peeling, yeah. the peeling of loofahs is like, a, it's like an ASMR type of thing. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. yeah I was like, I need to grow some loofahs. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, some people is crazy. Some people have no problem with it at all. And some people like myself, I struggled a lot growing it. And it, it's, it, it's sort of a fickle plant, it seems like. But I thought you said it was a, a light issue. On my loofah, I think so in 2019, it was it was just all sorts of random stuff happened. It got dug up once it got pulled out once. And so there's not a lot of success there. I would say this year, um, loofah is a plant that it's a very long season plant. We're talking maybe 200 days or so. So good chunk of the year. And it wants long, hot days, which we did have this year. But it also doesn't want to be transplanted. So like where you start your loofah is probably where it should remain. Maybe one transplant, maybe. But generally speaking, it doesn't like it um, and it wants a lot of water and it wants to climb like crazy. And so you, you really with loofah, you have to set it up for success at the start or else you're going to be doomed. Any of these long season crops, if you make a mistake at the start, it's just like you're going to wait 200 days to to fail. You know, it's not, not a good feeling. Yeah, I do appreciate that you show your fails and you talk about your fails because I feel like I watch a, a bunch of different gardening videos now and I feel a lot of them talk about success, but not the failure. And, you know, when it comes to gardening, it's not guaranteed success. Many times, especially in the beginning, you have a lot of failures and through every oh, yeah. year, that's yeah. how you learn. And so I do appreciate that you show your failure. So I don't feel like there's just something wrong with me that I can't grow these plants. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, especially because I live in San Diego, right? And so the climate affords the ability to grow almost anything, almost any time. Like I could have planted tomatoes in November if I wanted to, 
and they would have technically grown. Whereas if I was in like New Jersey or something, the ground's frozen, I can't plant it. So I can't even make the mistake of planting tomatoes at the wrong time in let's say in New Jersey. But, but here in San Diego, I, I'll get a message from someone that, that planted them. Like actually my old college roommate texted me. I hadn't heard from him in a long time. And he put tomatoes in the ground in like November. And he, he ended up getting some, but of course, not as much as you would have gotten. So, I mean, you, you can make a lot of mistakes just by, I mean, there's just like five or 10, like really common mistakes you can make uh, year after year, unless you learn from them. Yes, exactly. Um, so talking about garlic, I'm actually getting ready to plant some ginger. So thank you for your ginger video, mm. ginger and mm. taro in my um, sister-in-law's garden. I was planning on planting some garlic, soft neck garlic, but I thought it was a little too late. So it's not too late in maybe zone 9B. You're in 9B? No, I don't think so. I mean, the, the classic recommendation for garlic is, first of all, most people that grow garlic are growing it in a colder climate. And so why people will say to grow it in November, at least my understanding is that you can plant it deep. And while the winter is, is, is going on, then the root system is developing underneath the mulch layer. So it's protected and insulated so that when spring comes, it already has a nice root system and it can just focus on its, its growth above. But I think for us, you can get away with planting it pretty much now, because if we think about it, it's a, it's a 200 to 240 day crop, very long season, which again, that's why they will plant it in November. Because if you're in zone five, six, you don't really have 200 days of, of growing time. Right. Whereas we, we uh, have, or at least I do here in, in San Diego, I have 365 days. Mm -hmm. um, and so I can be a little more flexible about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think you'd be all right. Okay. Going back to you, when you first started your gardening journey, what was the first, like most surprising lesson that you learned? Um, I think, I don't know if I could think of one specific one like that, but I think a little quote that I, I learned from a friend of mine when I had him on the podcast a while ago was, he said, a lot of people say, oh, I grew this plant, right? Like I grew this loof, I grew this tomato. Um, and he said, it's really not that. It's really more like I gave it the environment it needed to grow itself. Mm. Uh, because it's not like you're engineer. It's not like you're like there genetically, right. you know, right. inside the plant, like causing it to grow. You're just giving it the things that it wants to grow. And then the other thing that people seem to forget is all these plants that we grow, that we see at the grocery store, it's not like they all came from one location on earth initially, you know, and they're not endemic to one magical like grocery store land or something. So uh, all the, all the different things we grow in our like annual vegetable garden, a lot of them just came from completely different areas. They're adapted to completely different things. And so their care of course is going to be different and, and matching their care to where they evolved and what they like is the best thing to do. And that, that ties to the whole idea of you're just giving it the environment it needs to grow. You're not growing the plant. Right. So when I think back, I think my biggest surprising lesson was about the soil. I never thought mm -hmm. much about the soil. I have, I was always under the impression you throw some seeds out there, it's going to take care of, so yeah, it's going to grow. Of course, nothing grows. Uh, and I think the biggest thing I learned was it's not about feeding the plant, it's about feeding the soil. So yeah, mm -hmm. can you talk to us about, you know, why soil health is so important and what's the indication of a good versus a bad soil? Sure. So yeah, I mean, I, I would say that's probably something I learned had to learn a lot too, because again, coming from hydroponics at the start, I didn't really know that much about soil at the start. And then just like you, you know, I was like, okay, well, as long as it looks like dirt, then it should be fine. Right. And obviously that's not true. Even if you go buy something bagged at the, at the big box store. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's very similar to like, I guess how you might think about gut health or your own human health, where the foods that you eat 
are being broken down and consumed by some of the bacteria and stuff in your gut being digested and, and used in all of your cells. And so like for you to be healthy, it almost feels like you have to give the things that make the larger organism of you healthy, healthy things, right? And so it's, it's the same as in the soil where, you know, soil is not a single entity. It's like air is contained in soil, water is contained in soil, minerals and, and different sort of macronutrients are in there, organic matters in there somewhere around one to 3%. And then of course you have all the different organisms that are in there. And that entire cluster of things is what soil is. Um, and so that's the biggest thing that I think I had to learn at the start is like, oh, it's not just one thing. It's the amalgamation of all these different things and they have to sort of interplay together. Uh, so that, that was a really important one. As far as knowing what soil is bad versus good, I would say it's more about knowing like where it is on the spectrum of bad or good. And so there's certain qualities that a soil can have and you want them to be a certain way for a certain crop, right? So you know, compact soil, a soil that's heavy in clay particles instead of maybe heavier in sand or these larger, lighter particles, well, that's going to compact a lot and it's not going to hold air very well. It's not going to be very well aerated. Mm -hmm. So it's low aeration, but generally they're kind of high in, in nutrients and they're really high in holding water. And so there, there are plants that would like that type of soil, right? Mm -hmm. Just like when you think about like a cactus or a succulent, like you were saying earlier on, there are plants that want the opposite. They want a soil that the water drains pretty freely from, actually doesn't contain a whole lot of, of nutrients within it. And they kind of just chill out and, and they've got all the water in their leaves, so the cactus or succulent. Um, and so that's, I mean, I, I would say instead of bad or good, I would just say like, what are the conditions of your soil and do they map to the thing you're trying to grow? And how would you suggest um, how we test the soil? Yeah, yeah. So there's a couple ways. I mean, there's there's some ways you can do it at home that are really easy. If you want like an easy soil composition test, one thing you can do, it's called the mason jar test. And so what you would do is, let's say you have a raised bed and you want to see what's going on in the raised bed. You grab a couple samples. So maybe like from each corner or something like that. You want a representative sample. You fill a mason jar half up with that. You can put a little dish soap in there if you want to, just to, to reduce the surface tension of it if you want, not necessary. And then you fill the rest up with water, shake the whole thing, let it sit for 24 hours. And of course the largest, heaviest particles will fall first and then the middle and then the top. So the largest, heaviest particles are gonna be your sand particles, your, your big ones. Then you have your silty particles, they're in the middle and then your clay and that's at the top. And so think of the amount that you filled the jar, that halfway full amount is 100%, right? And then you kind of roughly look at the ratios of the rest. And so a loamy soil would be roughly a third, third, third. So a lot of people call that the Holy Grail. Um, that would be your, sort of your perfect mix. It's the equal balance. Most of us don't have that in our native soil. And so for me, when I do this test, I see almost no sand particles, uh, maybe a little bit of silt and maybe like 70% clay. Um, and so I know that what, what's my problem going to be in that case? It's going to be that it compacts a lot. Maybe roots are going to get stuck in there. Maybe if I water it, the water is going to stay in there for a long time. And so then I would say, okay, well, if I'm growing vegetables in that, they're probably not going to like it. So I'm going to have to add something to that soil to loosen it up just a little bit. Uh, so that would be one easy test that you can do. Another way you can do that test really quickly is if you moisten just an area of your garden and grab it in your hands. If you grab it, squeeze it, and it just completely crumbles apart, you have over half sand in your soil. If it sort of stays for a little bit, it might crumble if you move your hand a little bit. That's more of like your loamy mix. 
And then of course, if you squeeze it and it just like stays as a log, then you've got a lot of clay there. So that, that would be like a composition test. If we're talking like what's actually in the soil itself, then at that point, you kind of have to get it actually tested and you would send it to like a university or an extension office. And those are actually really valuable. I'm going to do that here at the homestead. Uh, Cause I, I just want to know, like, are there any salts in the soil that I don't want heavy metals, you know, things like that, that could mess with, with, with the plants. When it comes to container planting, right? So my entire patio are all, all growbacks mm -hmm. between seasons, I'll amend the soil, but at what point in the container would I have to, should I replace the entire thing with new soil? Just, I feel like if I keep amending, you know, each plant is taking more and more out of the soil. Can I keep amending sure. or should I just re be replacing it like after two seasons? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say when you're talking about your grow bags, then let's say you grew something and then you amend it. What's your amending process when you do that? I usually that? add in, so I'll add in um, compost. Um, okay. And I wouldn't say, I don't, I can't, I don't have enough space to do my own compost. I'll go mm -hmm. to Home Depot and all they have is really chicken manure. Or at least what okay. they have here. So that's what I have. And then I'll add in um, blood meal, meal, bone meal. I'll add in um, some um, just like starter uh, food. And mm -hmm. sometimes I'll add some garden lime as well. And that's okay. sort of what I add in. Okay. And then are you mixing it into the whole thing or are you just kind of putting it on Mixing top? to the whole thing. The whole yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, if you're doing it that way, you can pretty much do that uh, more or less forever, I would say. I mean, maybe you grow something that takes a ton of nutrients out or eventually you have some, some imbalance in that soil. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you could do that for at least a few seasons, I would say. And maybe at some point you would you would throw all your grow bags into like a big wheelbarrow and do like a big refresh. Mm -hmm. um, that's what I, that's what I've done. And in fact, I just did that when I was resetting the grow bag garden that I've got, mm -hmm. I had a bunch of grow bags from the old house and I put them in a big empty raised bed that I had and just forked through them to kind of mix them all together. Cause they weren't all the same soil mix, you know? Right. So I figured I'll create one like big aggregate mix. I dumped a bunch of um, organic granular fertilizer in watered it in as I mixed it. And then I filled every single new bag up and replanted it out. And, and at least so far, it seems like it's doing great. Okay. And then how much yeah. compost should I add? Should I add like half or is like one third enough? Cause I'm never sure how much I should be adding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say you, you, it's possible to overdo it with compost. Mm -hmm. And so I would say whatever was missing from the bag after you grew your last crop, you may want to just top it up with that much or slightly less. And the other amendments can make up the rest. Uh, that's what I would do. Okay. You could also, I mean, there's nothing wrong with just adding more of the potting mix that you used in the first place. Okay. You know, that, that's a completely fine way to amend because oftentimes that has organic matter in there and, and nutrients in there too. And then what about just like roots that's left behind? So like if I grow a big tomato plant, there's a lot of roots that's left behind. Should yeah. I take them all out or should I just leave them in there for them? Yeah. Yeah. In, in grow bags and containers, cause like in a raised bed or in ground, I've moved over to what's called a no dig yes. style where you're really not disrupting the soil a lot. Uh, but in containers it's possible. I, I met someone in New York doing it in milk crates. Mm -hmm. He had like 3000 milk crates and he was doing it in a, a cubic foot of soil each. Um, and he was doing a no dig approach. I, even he would take tomato roots out though, because it's so bulky and so big yeah. that it, it, it just seems like you're sacrificing more than you're gaining. So if it's, if we're talking like a lettuce, not a huge deal, you could like mix the roots in or whatever they'll decompose. But yeah, I mean, t tomatoes, th these large rooted plants, then what I'll do is often I'll, I'll pull it out and I'll kind of shake all the soil off and recover what I can. And then the roots will go in the compost and, and I'll refresh from there. Okay. 
It's good to know. Um, so let's talk about no dick gardening, right? Charles Dowding, mm -hmm. I love him. I know you love him. You have done quite yeah, a few yeah. videos with him. Um, talk to yeah. us about our audience about what is no dick gardening and why is that beneficial? Sure. So, so no dig gardening, a lot of people will call it no till. If you're in the market farming world, it's more or less the same thing. And the whole idea is if we think about the way that conventional agriculture works, what you'll do is you'll, you'll monocrop like a large field full of sorghum or barley or whatever corn. And then once you're done, you chop it all off. And then you have these big machines come through and till the land or break up the first little bit so that you can then mix in some more fertilizer and whatever the case may be. So a lot of these farming techniques just got adapted down to the home garden where they might really not apply. And so someone like Charles, who actually learned a lot of what he learned from this woman, Ruth Stout, who was a gardener in the early 1900s. And she was like, why should I till? I'll just, I'll just never till and I'll keep covering with mulch and that will keep building the soil. So the whole logic behind it is that going back to what, what soil is, it's full of different organisms that are all interplaying with one another. You've got mycorrhizal fungi, you have all sorts of like fungal strands that are in the soil. And if, as soon as you till, you've, you've then destroyed that, right? And it will come back, but not if you till every year, you'll just redestroy it every year. And the research shows, as we should know, you know, following what nature would do, is that the soil life is really what's doing the most work for the health of the soil and for the health of your plants. Mycorrhizal fungi will attach and extend the root systems and sort of mine the soil for the plant. And so you could think of them almost as like a symbiotic organism. Uh, so if you're tilling, you're destroying all that. And so the idea behind no dig is prep your soil, grow in it. And then every year or every rotation, all you do is you just top dress with whatever you're using to fertilize. Let's say it's really nice compost and then just plant in the holes from there. You don't, you know, fork it up. You don't run a tiller through, just let it be. And the results kind of speak for themselves. It can be a little slow to start, especially if you're dealing with a really bad soil, uh, but it's a great method. I mean, I think it's, it's probably going to be the future of general farming, I would say. Uh, the only thing I would offer is if you're working with like a really bad soil to start, which I don't think I'm necessarily working with a really bad one, but it's quite compact. Mm -hmm. What I'm going to do is a one-till method. So if I do a, a garden that's in ground, let's say my tomatoes and cucumbers, I think I'll do in ground this mm -hmm. year. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna one-till it. And so I'll till to maybe six to 12 inches or so. I'll mix in a good amount of organic matter into that just to be sure, loosen up some of that clay. And after that, I won't ever till it again. So I'll give the soil a chance to rebuild. Because there's something to be said like, Yes, you want to preserve the soil life, but if it's so compact and bad that there's nothing there anyways, you're not destroying anything by tilling it, right? So you might as well speed that process up. And you've been doing a ton of different experiments on your homestead, right? You have you have your container garden, you have um, your raised bed, you have your um, no-till garden, all the, all the different ways of gardening. Is there one that you like the most or is there a, a style that's more suited for certain plants? Um, I would say right now, I'm, I'm really excited about all the in-ground stuff because there, it, there's just simply less cost. I mean, you're working with the actual soil that's on the ground. You, of course, you have to amend it, but that's no big deal. Um, you don't have to get any beds or systems. So I really like that. I wouldn't say one is necessarily better than the other. It, it really would depend on the gardener. So like for you, containers make a lot of sense, right? Uh, raised beds don't and in-ground, you, you probably don't even have an in-ground, no. right? And so, and so then of course, yeah, yeah. One day, exactly. And so 
I mean, for me, let's say um, for raised beds, let's take a look at raised beds. I really like on my tall raised beds to grow my short, low growing crops, like my lettuces and my kales and stuff, because I can just walk out and like chop them off. Herb garden would be great for that. And then in ground, I think for me, um, tomatoes, cucumbers, these larger crops that might require like some trellising or something. Potatoes are actually a fantastic one. I think in ground, in my opinion, you're going to get your best results and you're also going to have to do the least work because I mean, Ruth Stout, the one I mentioned earlier on for the no dig, that was one of her, her most sort of notable things about her is she would just drop potatoes on the ground and just cover them up with hay, not even bury them in soil at all and just keep covering them up with hay. Uh, and she would get incredible potatoes from that. And so if you're thinking about production for, for time, then that's, that's pretty lazy and it's pretty easy, you know? That's, I want to try that. That sounds like my kind of garden. <laughs> Just throw some hay on top. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It's super easy. Yeah. Super easy. On your homestead, do you plan to also raise any bees to also help pollinate and um, in encourage your garden to grow? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I have a, a friend of mine who lives near me, girl next door, honey. Uh, she's a beekeeper and we've been talking about doing bees. She said bees should be one of the latter things that I do mm. uh, because you want to know, you know, where all your trees are and you want to actually have the trees flowering. So they have pollen throughout the season. So bees are on the menu. It's just probably not going to happen at least until the end of this year, I would say, if not maybe early next year, because there's really a lot to do before I think they come into play. And when are chickens coming in? Chickens hopefully are coming sooner. Um, I really, really want chickens as soon as possible because number one, free eggs. Number two, I've got more than enough material to, to give to them, to feed them. So I'm actually really curious how much I'll even need to spend on, on feeding the chickens. Uh, and then number three, they're a great source of, of manure. They're, they're litter. You can scoop out, throw into the compost and as many different sort of systems that all interplay with one another that I can have makes sense to me. Yeah. Can you explain more about what, what the chickens would eat? What can, can they eat vegetables? Yeah. Chickens. So chickens in the wild, well, they're not really a wild animal anymore, but you know what I mean? Like if left to their own devices, chickens would, would eat anything. They're omnivorous. And so most people, like if you're growing a chicken, I guess at like a factory farm or something, you would be feeding it just Corn. like some sort of yeah. pelletized grain, you know? Uh, which isn't really what they would naturally eat. They would sort of be like a foraging beast. They'll eat bugs all the time. I mean, they'll go crazy for bugs. So you can actually run your chickens through your garden and your chickens will pick clean some of those bugs that you wouldn't want in the garden. So it's a great way to do that. Um, and, and they'll also kind of just go through the, the ground and, and pick seeds and whatever sort of veg vegetables that they would want to eat. And then of course they poop on the ground and, and their fertilizer is great. I want chickens so bad. I have a Pinterest board, yeah. just all chickens and eggs. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. I mean, the problem is, is, is the coop. I'm trying to like, I want a really kind of cool looking coop, a nice coop, effective coop. And so that's been my hang up so far, but hopefully I'll get it soon. If you need tips, we've got a friend. From, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Kate from Talush Farms. She's got some good tips for chicken coops. Well, actually, <laughs> oh, I feel like I know who that yeah, is. Yeah. We interviewed her a couple of weeks ago and she was saying her husband built a, built their chicken coop has a, it has a solar panel. It has automatic doors. <laughs> yeah, see, that's what I want. That's what I want. Oh, yeah, I know who she, I know who that is. Yeah. Yeah, she's got some great tips. Uh, we're, we're super excited that now you're the second person we know that will also have chickens. So hopefully we'll be one of the 100 million people you, you inspire go. to grow food at home. <laughs> there you go. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> yeah. 
And, and for me, especially hearing Yan's story about how she grows, I'm so encouraged to hear what is possible. Because same thing with um, that I asked Kate, one of my biggest issues is that I don't want something to die in my hands, especially mm. when it feels like I've done all I can. But just hearing you go through that process, uh, that just, it just makes it sound so enticing. You make it seem really easy. And that's what I really love about your channel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess, um... I don't know. I, I think the best gardeners eventually would be the ones that who, who have killed a lot of plants, um, because otherwise, how would you know what's wrong? You know what I mean? Like, unless you somehow were the, the truest green thumb of all time and you're like born in the Garden of Eden or something, how would you know? Uh, <laughs> how would you know how to do everything at the start? Right. You're going to try a different crop. It's your first time doing, let's say, a cauliflower. You're not going to grow it perfectly the first time almost all the time. Right. And so. I would say the the best gardeners are actually the ones who have killed the most plants. So I wouldn't be afraid of of killing a plant. Oh, good to know. And and I think that's actually why I brought up the app because there are actually several gardening apps out there, but none of them have worked for me. And so mm. I just even just hearing you speaking, talking to you, talking to Yan, I've learned way more than any app will ever tell me. In mm. fact, like when I was talking to Yan, I was like, "Hey, my my app is telling me to water my my snake plant." <laughs> She's like, "No, don't water it yet. It's too it doesn't need as much water as you think it does." Yeah, yeah. I would say the apps, like there, there's this whole world of companies that are trying to like program the garden. Yes. Um, yes that's and what I it think, is. honestly, I think it's kind of dumb. Like it doesn't make sense to me because there's too many variables, at least right now for a, an app to do well. Um, and isn't the point of it to, to learn how to sort of observe and connect and like understand how things grow? Why would that be the one thing you took out of the process? Right. Uh, I, I don't understand. I, I, I know what you mean though. I mean, I've tried using those planning apps before and I always like, I have a spreadsheet in my garden and this and that, but it's, a, it's always loose. It's not supposed to be like perfectly tracked to it because obviously things just change. Yeah, nothing beats experience, right? Like you wouldn't raise your children with an app or your pets with an app and same thing, right, this is a life. Right, yeah. Even though tomatoes all have similar traits, you're even within the same variety, it could be different, right? De depending on For sure. the soil and all the, you know, the light and everything. So you kind of have to observe. In my garden, you know, I had the same three tomatoes in different locations, they all grow differently. And that's how I learn, you know, what's the best location for each plant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you can use apps or, or sort of, programs or resources for certain things, you know, like how long does it generally take to germinate and this and that. But eventually, like once it's actually growing, you have to be able to go out there and look at something and be, oh, okay, well, it's kind of yellowing. What does it mean? That could mean a lot of different things. Did it rain a lot recently? Whatever, you know, like there's a, there's a million and one factors and apps just, at least in my opinion, aren't going to get you there. That and also I think some of my favorite videos from you are like the videos reacting to videos from Blossom or oh, yeah. or those garden <laughs> hack videos that you put oh, a yeah. banana and yeah. apple together, you get a new plant. <laughs> oh, they're so bad. They're so bad. I did a I almost did another one on TikTok. There's there's like some TikTok plant hacks that are out there these days that are just like even worse, surprisingly um but yeah yeah i mean there's just a lot i think it's just all for the views yeah you know? i remember when you're like they were planting a, a tomato a pepper and you're like that's a that's a pea shoot <laughs> that's not even the plant oh yeah the, the one that, i think it was a cucumber oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean i think they do that just because it looks better mm -hmm. on the camera you know but it's just so misleading and, and what's crazy is i don't know how they do it but they get like on facebook like hundreds oh, of yeah. millions of views yeah. you know probably because their audience is massive or something but and then you look at the comments and 
almost no one is questioning any of the advice. Yes. And so then you wonder like, okay, well, what are they doing about every other thing that they're taking in on the internet? You know, it's like- No, I literally have friends who ask me, hey, if I stick a banana in a, in a soil, would a girl banana tree? I'm like, no, that's not yeah. how it works. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess in some ways I, I get it and I have some sympathy because if you never, if you don't know anything about plants, then how would you know that that wouldn't work? Right. But there is a level of common sense <laughs> that comes into play, you know? Also just don't give out false information. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to want to make a living by putting out bad videos that are, are just like clickbaity. I don't know. Well, that's what it is. I mean, people, people like clicking on something that looks really, really easy because mm -hmm. it's just too good to believe. And we're just, in that type of world where like people want that people want a little bit of that fantasy yeah. <laughs> in their everyday and and I, that's what i love about your channel just you keep it real even you some of the fruits that you talk about like the ice cream tree or these mm. little ice cream beans they almost sound too good to be real but they're they're real they're real mm -hmm. plants that no one really talks about so i think that that's one of the more exciting things about your channel that you're really bringing to life is you're bringing these um all these varieties that normally people wouldn't be exposed to yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just lucky I get to live in a place where I can grow not everything, but like really close to the full range of stuff that you would want to grow. Yeah. You can grow a lot of tropical things. It definitely sounds like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And... I can hack it. I mean, we're not technically tropical here, but if I have a greenhouse, for example, or a, yeah. if I really treat it nicely, like you can grow tropical here for sure. In most garden raised beds, I see really beautiful, like low wooden raised beds. In your videos, mm. you have these tall, giant metal raised beds. Talk to us, mm -hmm. what's the difference between a metal raised bed versus a wood raised bed? And why do you choose to go with the metal ones? Yeah, so I found those a long time ago. I found them in like 2017. They're from Australia. And I mean, you, with raised beds, your options are no borders at all. So basically just like a mounded garden. That's technically a raised bed. Um, so that would be your cheapest option because you're just mounding up on top of the ground. And then you can use some sort of lost and found type of thing like a cinder block or wood planks or whatever. Most people, the classic raised bed, you're right, is it's made out of wood. Wood, most of the raised beds are probably going to be made from like a Douglas fir, a cedar, or a redwood. And that would go in order of their quality. So Douglas fir would be the lowest, redwood would be the highest. I mean, wood is just really expensive right now. It's been expensive for over a year because of, you know, pandemic stuff. And metal has actually become either cheaper or on the same scale uh, and actually cheaper to ship too. So for me, they made a lot of sense. I like a tall bed. I like the style mm -hmm. to me, you know, part of the garden is the aesthetic of the garden. I like the style with that corrugated painted look. And um, for me, they're 30 inches tall. So I can grow my low growing crops, like my lettuces and stuff in the 30 inch tall beds and maybe my tomatoes or my corn in the 15 inch tall beds I have. And they grow up and then I can work with them easier. So I want something that's easy to work in. Um, and what I've noticed at least, because these are beds that I actually sell on the website, these are super popular with the elderly population who used to garden, but now doesn't and now can again, because they have an affordable bed that they can actually like stand and work in, which they just couldn't if they were working on the ground. Yeah. Gardening kills my back and I'm not that elderly yet. <laughs> on my way, yeah. halfway there. <laughs> 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 when we talk about tilling the soil it almost sounds like a workout in itself <laughs> it is a workout oh, for sure yeah 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 no i mean it, it definitely is it's an it's a i mean walking is like one of the best forms of exercise ever right and you're gonna do a lot of that in the garden so how big is your garden actually now well the the property is twelve thousand eight hundred something square foot um and so it's like a little bit less than a third of an acre 
Um, but the garden space right now is probably like 200 square feet, I would mm. say, ish, something like that. Eventually, it'll be the whole thing, mm -hmm. I, I think. Um, but we'll we'll just you know take it take it kind of slow. And you are, I know you ordered a bunch of trees. At some like, mm -hmm. was it sixty mm -hmm. or eighty trees that you're planning to put? I have like fifty five on the list. I I haven't ordered all of those yet. I've ordered um I would say maybe like thirty. 30-ish or so. Uh, so at some point they got to go on the ground. They're just sitting out there right now, but I have to plan like where they're going to go and all that. Trees are you know, going to live a lot longer. So you want to make sure you put them in the right spot. Well, what I learned recently from you was actually, you know, when we plan on, uh, we plan our, our vegetables, we plan on when to harvest, right? So you will plant them one plant or two plants first, and then you wait for a few weeks or a month and plan next one. So you always harvest throughout the season. And I didn't mm -hmm. think about that for fruits, but that's your mm. strategy for orchard as well. And I thought that was so smart because I never even thought about that. It makes sense. I don't want to have peaches like only in July. I want to have peaches from like May through September. So, um, you know, mm -hmm. what talk to mm -hmm. like what kind of trees are you planting and like how are you planning on spacing out the harvesting time? Yeah, so that's not my idea. That's an idea from uh, Dave Wilson Nursery. It's called successive ripening. Mm -hmm. So you think of succession sowing like lettuce every week and you get lettuce every week. Uh, with with successive ripening, it's the same idea, but obviously they're trees. And so you want to pick trees that, you know, uh, let's say I have a Haas avocado and I have a Forte avocado, which are the two avocados I'm going to grow. They fruit literally almost exactly opposite. Um, and so that's great because then let's say, I don't even know if this is accurate, but let's say March to November and then November to, to February, right? So then you're, you're sitting in a spot where you should at least have avocados all year round. And that's the idea there. You just have to get very particular about, okay, well, which varieties are going to do that? And you have to look at all the charts and stuff. But for me, if you're going to do orchards and, and trees, it's a long-term investment. It's multi-years sometimes to even get the first fruit so you, you might as well do the research up front because you want to wait two years to to mess something up you know and how would you um deal with pest deterrents when it comes to fruit yeah well talk to me in a little bit because i don't really know yet i i think um i mean the the first thing with pests is always first of all every garden or orchard or, or space should have some pests mm -hmm. uh, because if you don't then you don't have the other organisms around that eat those pests uh it's when there's no deterrent that's it becomes a problem. Pests with trees, I mean, you're probably going to have to use some sort of organic sprays in certain situations. Birds are oftentimes the pests yeah. of a lot of trees. And so you might have to, to net the tree, uh, especially like, let's say I grow berries, uh, blueberries, raspberries. I'm probably going to have to net them in, hmm. in coming years because birds will go crazy for those. I, I see people have tree rats uh, and the rats will like climb up and then eat all the fruit. And so a lot of the times if someone's like really growing a precious fruit, uh, they'll bag the fruit. So as soon as they see it, they'll actually tie a bag around it. That's obviously really time intensive for, for certain things. But if you really want the fruit, I mean, that's, you got to guarantee that you're going to get it. Oh, wow. I just never knew that you, that some people would do that. The most I've heard is really protecting your fruit from frost. So I know gardeners mm. will like spray their fruits right with water. So then you have the frozen ice shield around them um, or like ice wine, right? Like that's how ice wine came to be. Mm. But I've never seen bags on fruit. I'm going to now be searching for, for how yeah, to- Yeah, no, I think you can buy them. Like you could probably buy them at a nursery or something like a bag that goes around your fruit because I don't really think I'll deal with that. I haven't even seen a squirrel around my area, which would be the only thing that would climb up and go for it. We'll see mm. once I actually have the trees. Mm -hmm. but um 
yeah, I mean, other areas like Florida, I get a lot of questions for Florida for all sorts of things. And I guess they have tree rats. Wow. So they deal with that. And is it just you working on the garden or you also have your brother helping out sometimes? No, I mean, he's up, he doesn't live in in San Diego. So I I may be hiring a garden manager at some point just to kind of help me out. But uh, right now it's just all, all me. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. A lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) But it sounds like it's a labor of love, right? Oh, it's fun. Yeah. I mean, it's super fun. It's super fun. It's just what once, uh, once Epic Gardening has become what it's become, which Mm -hmm. I never thought it would, it's a real company now, you know? So there's a team to, to help out with certain things, but there's also like always growing pressures of, of doing other things. So it pulls you away from the garden, which is kind of interesting. Right. And how, how often do you say you go to the grocery store now? Are you mainly eating from your garden? Um, I mean, in the winter more, in the summer less, you know, it, it would go with the seasons. I'm probably going to go almost never, I would say, once the garden's really set up. It's just right. not there yet. But once it's really set up and I can get like canning and preserving and stuff going on, I really sure. don't think I should need to go to the grocery store unless I'm getting like a prepared good, you know, mm-hmm. but for produce, probably never. That's the dream. I, yeah. especially spending extra time in the grocery store is something that I don't have time for nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially with the pandemic, like I was barely at the grocery store anyways. And so now it just would feel very weird to go. <laughs> well, and everything from your garden, I know just like Yan's garden, I love her tomatoes. She mm. gives me all of her tomatoes and I'm so grateful for that. There you in go. Fact, yeah. yeah. Malinka, he calls her the tomato friend, the tomato lady. <laughs> And they're just so sweet and they taste like nothing else. He knows, you know. Can't beat it. I mean, it's the, the like the average tomato is like two weeks old by the time you buy it at the grocery. So yeah, you just can't beat it fresh. And you can't beat no, the variety, right? Even even yes. when you buy seedlings from like um, Home Depot, like you can't beat the variety from growing from seed. If you just order the seed, there are just hundreds of varieties I've never heard of. And so what mm-hmm. I love to do is every year I'll grow, I mean, I have such small space, I'll grow one new variety um, to try it out. So like my favorite one, Right now is brass atomic. Um, mm, I agree that. So yeah, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fantastic one. So tell us about your your plans now for your epic homestead. Oh man, I mean, right now it's the the first things I did was kind of fixing up some of the systems. I suppose you would say. So like, I wanted solar, but that meant I needed a new roof. Mm-hmm. So I had to do both of those, and uh, did some interior work. Hopefully the next thing going in is the fence. So it's a big square property, but the fences, there's like seven different fence types on the property right now. Mm -hmm. And so I would like there to be less than seven, maybe two. (laughs) (laughs) So like the front fence and maybe the back fence. Um, So I got to get that done because I I do want like some semblance of privacy right now. You can just like look all the way into the backyard, which is not ideal. Um, So getting some fencing done, then irrigation is the next thing up. Uh, I don't necessarily want to overly rely on irrigation, but I do want it to be laid out. And so like the orchard can be irrigated automatically. If I ever do a row crop, a row farm in the backyard, we want to have something there that could irrigate that. And um, so, yeah, it's a lot of like infrastructure, I would say right now, simultaneously trying to have some kind of gardening going on too. So like the front yard raised bed garden, which is kind of like a throwback to the old Epic garden Mm -hmm. that's going Still some adjustments to make, always adjustments to make, but that's actually going right now. I've got a grow bag garden like you, Yan, hanging out up there too. Mm-hmm. The the no dig bed, like we talked about, is also up there. And uh, right now, I guess the, the next push is figuring out where these trees are going to go in the orchard. Um, it's tricky because 
it really is just bare dirt besides the house um, and whatever I've already put in. And so it's kind of, it's kind of like nerve wracking to put stuff in the ground. Cause I'm like, Oh, well, what if I wanted to put like a granny flat in the back and then I'd have to have a driveway, but then my trees in the driveway, you know what yeah. I mean? Uh, so we'll see. Um, I, I would say the orchard and, and the chicken coop and the fence and the compost bin, I need, I need a bigger composting system here too. Obviously there's a lot to do. <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> And are you full-time on your blog right now as well? Like with the podcast and the YouTube Yeah, channel? Yeah, so Epic Gardening has been a full-time thing for me since 2016 um, summer, yeah. That's the dream, Kevin. You're living, you're living I chose the, the wrong career. <laughs> I beat myself yeah. up every single day. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's, what are you doing, Yan? What are you doing? I am a site merchandising manager. So I work um, for Walmart and I, you know, anything you see on website where you go shop, I, oh, I help okay. lay out the campaigns and stuff like that. Got it, got it, So got a lot it. of computer time, I would rather be outside with my hands in the dirt. But to be fair, when I was younger, I had zero interest in gardening. My mom loved gardening. I did not care at all. And it's only, you know, in recent years that I got more mature, I wanted something, you know, more creative. I wanted to be more self-sufficient. And that's when mm -hmm. I started gardening. And once I started, it was just, it's an obsession now. That's all I want to do, especially in the summertime. I don't want to be inside. I want to be outside all day gardening. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I feel you on that. I just, I think I have an extreme, I'm not a very good employee. I'm like, just really, I don't, I just wouldn't do that well in that environment. Yeah. And so I spent a lot of time trying to do my own thing and trying, 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 trying. And then, you know, mentored under some people, worked with some good companies and finally learned enough to do it myself. And then of course, you know, here we are, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on that. I want to spend my time outside. Fortunately, what's weird is like I did this to, to spend more time outside. And now I do have those long computer days sometimes too. So just part of the game. Yeah, it is. So um, last question for you, for anybody who just starting out to garden, I know a lot of my friends are starting out right now, uh, especially because of the pandemic. Um, you know, what are, what's your advice? What are some things they should get in the beginning? What are some things they shouldn't invest in until later? Um, I would say keep it so simple. Uh, your first year, what I what I want people to do in their first year versus what I did, obviously, you know, <laughs> I didn't follow my own advice, I suppose, growing hydroponic cucumbers. But what I would say is, you know, pick the things you're like really amped to grow. You're super excited. Maybe you're you're a tomato fanatic and that's really all you care about growing for the whole season. That's fine. Just, just pick some amazing tomatoes and cultivate them uh, like your life depends on it. Don't grow things you think you should grow. Grow the thing you're most excited to grow and, and figure out exactly, like just figure out everything about it. Read, read, watch YouTube videos. Uh, you know, you could even call the nursery and ask them questions. They'll, they will answer it most of the time. Um, there's a local extension office. You could even call, send pictures to them. They'll literally go look up answers in a book for you as like a volunteer service. Oh. Uh, so figure out what you're really excited to grow and go all in on that. You'll have success guaranteed at that point, unless something crazy happens. And then you'll actually be excited to keep gardening in the future instead of, you know, Oh, everyone told me I have to grow radishes and I grew, I grew them. And then I don't really care about radishes. So what was the point of what I just did? You know, that was me. I grew a lot of radishes and a lot of lettuce. And guess what? I don't, yeah. I don't eat salads. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So, you, you know, you, you became a good friend for someone who loves salad and that's about yes. it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for your time, Kevin. I know you are on time crunch, so we'll let you get back to your busy day. Thank you for, for coming on and talking to us. I am just so excited to finally meet you. And once again, you're just a wealth of knowledge. So thank you so much. Can you tell, let our audience know where they can find you? 
Yeah, just anywhere you are, um, just search Epic Gardening podcasts, YouTube channel, uh, the blog. And I think the only things that aren't called Epic Gardening are uh, the books. So one book is called Field Guide to Urban Gardening on Amazon. And the other one is called Grow Bag Gardening, which is going to be out in March of 2021. So you could just search my name on Amazon. I think it's the easier way to have those things come up. Just Kevin Espiritu, which I'm assuming will be in the podcast description. And there you go. Yes, we'll link everything in the show notes and also on our website. Cool. Great. Thank you so much, Kevin. Have a great evening. Thank you. Yeah. You too, guys. Bye. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this episode. We really appreciate your support for our little podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it will mean the world to us if you can leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. This will help more people discover our podcast. You can find Lost and Refound podcast on Instagram at lost.and.refound. If you want to email us, you can do so at lostandrefoundpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I hope you stay positive and creative. Bye. Bye.